Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Kelly Lee Evans always knew she wanted to be a musician, but like many, a desire to please her parents postponed those dreams. She was, as she says in this interview, doing everything she could to avoid getting out into the real world while earning several degrees plus working on her master's at Carleton University in Ottawa. It wasn't until the death of her mother that she knew she had to jump in with both feet, and the music world is certainly glad that she did. In 2004, she placed second at the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Vocals Competition. Spurred on by this, her first album was nominated for a Juno. In this interview, we discuss her Juno-winning second album, her love affair with the city of Paris, the events of 2013 that nearly ended her career, and her return to performing. An immensely talented musical artist, Kelly Lee personifies resilience and dedication to her craft, and we had a fantastic chat. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Stewie Tunes Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Good morning, Kelly Lee, and thanks for uh, joining me today. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing? You know, actually pretty good. Today's a good day. Today's, oh. I, I go day by day, you know, sometimes it's hour by hour. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about that later in today's episode, but I thought, uh, I thought I'd like to start uh, throughout your career. You know, there's been a real connection with France, with Paris, and, and that seems to be uh, something that just keeps coming up, you know, your, your um, relationship with the city of Paris. And I find that really interesting. Um, could you talk about that, about how, you know, Paris and France have become such an important part of your career? Yeah, you know, and um, I'm trying to think like what year it was, I think it was 2010, I received a, a, a what's, sorry, a MySpace message from um, a label, MySpace, from MySpace, a label yeah. in France. <laughs> what? Um, MySpace before, I think it was before Facebook. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So MySpace message asked me if I wanted to come and make a CD. And I had been like just burnt out from making my own independent CD and this label. I don't, they say they found me because I was part of the Monk, Thelonious Monk competition. Now it's called the Herbie Hancock competition, but it was a competition um, for jazz, jazz musicians. And uh, they found out, they looked, looked at the list of winners and they found me there and they invited me to come and make this CD in France. And I went and it was my first time going ever. I loved it. I had always dreamt of going to France. I had dreamt of like speaking French, just, you know, it was just kind of like this, this dream, but never did it. And I thought it was going to just be kind of like a one-off. Like I would go make the CD. He was going to like release it. He said in France. And I was at the same time I had made my own CD and I kind of felt like that was going to be it. But uh, that album, which was a tribute to Nina Simone came out and it, people just loved it. And it created this thing where like, I think my first concert in Paris, I think maybe I had 30 people and I had been told before I went, I was told before when it was booked that it was going to be two separate concerts. So like we had enough music for like 75 minutes, you know, and it was three, I think it was three of us, maybe four. So <laughs> like a very small band. 
And um, we were like, okay, this will be fine, um, 75 minutes. And then before I went out on stage, they were like, oh, okay, it's just gonna be the same audience and they're gonna have an intermission. <laughs> so you need like double that. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, okay, everyone's gonna take a solo. <laughs> and 15 <laughs> choruses each. <laughs> and we're gonna play. And whatever song they liked the best in the first set, we're playing again in the second set. Oh my God, it was too funny. So to go from, you know, 30 people, <laughs> like, you know, period, um, to, I, I don't even know. Like, I think, I'm trying to think like what my biggest crowd in Paris would have been. I don't know, we were getting up to like the seven, eight hundreds. Like there'd be a time when we, um, we were able to do like four nights a week, two shows a night, um, change the audience. So again, 70, 90 minute shows twice to like a large audience of like a hundred and something people. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in a little, little club. So it was just like, okay, something's changed, you know? And um, I don't know, it's been, I was there every month, like every month for two years. Like I go for a week, two weeks sometimes it felt like I was always there and I was actually planning to move there and live there um just before I put out my last album which was in 2015 in October 15 like that was my plan because I just I loved it I loved the fact that you could make music any day of the week and people would come you know mm -hmm. like there was this feeling that music was so appreciated and musicians were were just appreciated and you couldn't they couldn't get enough music and even like it's just like a different mentality um so many of the kids are taking music lessons and have this passion for the history of music when you talk to them like they're educating me on music i'm just like oh okay <laughs> like i didn't know that <laughs> you know and um the music level of musicianship is very high, you know. Um, I think they have a lot of pressure to be good, but there's a love of the music as well. And so I think when that, that happens at such a young age and the kids are so like, even there's like Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoon, most kids are out taking dance lessons or music, like school's finished and you mm -hmm. go and you take lessons, you know, in culture or like you go to museums. Or, and so you'll see like these big groups of students like, just filling museums and learning all about art and culture. So it makes it so easy for these festivals to operate and attract people and then for them to bring musicians from all over the world to entertain them. So I, it's, I was like, wow. And then like Europe is like very similar in their love for music as well. So you can travel all over. It's just such a different feeling from what we do here, which is like, I feel like, I feel like we appreciate music mostly in the summertime. <laughs> yeah you know? exactly yeah so that's that's the story of france I, I just like they they welcomed me and i and i really appreciated it and i fell for them you know for, yeah and the list of jazz musicians who've fallen in love with paris you know i just watched a, a documentary on Sidney bechet you know and, and i mean what's it called because i just i'm I'm, I, I'm in documentary mode right now oh you know what i'll i'll i'll, I'll i can't remember the title but i'll find it and i'll message you Send but me the uh, yeah, you know, all these jazz musicians who absolutely fell in love with that city. I mean, it just, it welcomed them with open arms and. Yeah, it really, it really does. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a nice feeling, you know, it's a really nice feeling. And then also like when you, 
think about the lives of the music, musicians that live there, like there's a, a lot more support for them. I mean, like what's happening right now with COVID and, you know, um, if you're earning like a, under a thousand, a thousand and under, you know, you can receive like this, the CERB and it's so helpful mm-hmm. um, in those lean months. And can you imagine like, there's a system set up for them where they they might think they work over a 10 month period. And then um, I'm not quite sure how the calculation is, but they're, they receive like, if you've worked over a 10 month period, you can receive a, a monthly amount, you know, for the next year. Oh, and wow. yeah. So you like, people have homes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Go figure. Like, you, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and apartments in Paris and, Oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, so it's it's just kind of like you look at that and you're like, wow, like that's what it looks like when like the people appreciate music and the the um the, the government that they uh that they elect, you know, reflects that as well and it's just like, you know, not to say that like some of those things aren't changing for them, you know, but like that's been the history of it and so I feel like it was something really interesting. But I, I'm I'm home now and I I'm fine. You know what I mean? I'm actually like, I, I got sick and I came, I had to stay home and it was like, I, I love my country. Yeah, <laughs> I really yeah. Do. I really do. It's crazy. Like, I was like, that is pretty awesome. And that's a nice goal for us to like get to that level of like love for musicians and for music and for the arts. Um, Canadians are awesome. Well, and I think a lot of us are appreciating <laughs> living in Canada right now, you know? I love my country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love my country. <laughs> Same here, same here. So I always uh, love finding out, you know, what lit that initial spark for people. You know, as a as a musician myself, I know what I I still remember the moment that I I said, "Man, I got to do something in that field." Like that's, you know. And for you, um, you know, you were studying law at Carleton University way back when, and what happened? Like, what lit the spark for you that made you decide, you know what, I'm changing directions? And uh, I was interested, uh, I don't know if you've ever met uh, Mike McCormick from The Arrogant Worms, but I, I, I interviewed him. So. Anyway, great guy, but you know, he, uh, he did a master's in metallurgical engineering and has not worked as a metallurgical engineer a day in his life, you know, it's so fascinating. Yeah. So uh, tell me what happened. Well, I, I always wanted to do music like that was just like it was never a question of whether I wanted to do it it was more like did I have the the uh the fearlessness to do it you know Mm -hmm. um and I have to be honest it wasn't really until my mom passed away that I felt like okay well no one's gonna stop me (laughs) (laughs) you know so like yeah I was just like um there was a there was this moment where I kind of like just woke up out of the fear of disappointing her and disappointing like everybody around me. Um, I just reckon, I just kind of had this feeling like if she, cause like she wanted me to be stable, you know, she, she, she knew that or her view was that the path to success for a young person of color in any like society is like for her was you know economic stability and and more you know just she when she was growing up she felt like oh I'm can be like a a bus driver she said she had three choices a bus driver 
uh, what was the second one? A postmistress or uh, a nurse. Those were her three paths when she went to England from Jamaica. And um, so she became a nurse and she just didn't want me to not be successful, you know? And so for her, like that idea of like being a musician look does not seem stable. And she was right. (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, but um, I was so, so I was like just very fearful as well. And so I just kind of, followed along I did everything that my parents thought would be like a smart thing to do so I just like I tried to do be the best I could in school you know valedictorian every club high marks um and I but I I was in school I had no clue what I wanted to do like I was just gonna stay there forever (laughs) you know (laughs) like I was doing my master's in legal philosophy like what was that gonna lead to maybe I'd be a professor you know Mm -hmm. like there was just there was no it wasn't even to be a lawyer it was like that wasn't even, it wasn't even a practical goal like that. It was just like, let me hide out here at Carleton yeah. and just keep taking more degrees. I had two undergraduate degrees and I was working on my master's. Like that's how much I did not want to leave the security and comfort of go to school, get grades, everybody's happy. Like that's just like, if you're doing that since kindergarten, like why would you change? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then she died and it was just like, wow life is short it's so short like she was she was uh 50 i don't know i'm trying to think how old she was she was in her 50s when she died of cancer that's not that's not that old no that's very young yeah it's very young you know and so to see that and i was an only child like on one level i'm kind of like wow you don't you don't really you're not guaranteed anything like for time you know and on the other level i was like well if she's gone and there is a heaven she's looking down and she can see i'm not well like i don't feel good about i had ulcers i wasn't feeling well you know i'm stressed out and unhappy um she could see that and say like that's not a way to live Mm -hmm. and if she's gone and there's no heaven she can't see me anyways (laughs) so so i'm all right (laughs) and that i swear to you that was the moment that was the moment when I decided to um, drop out of my master's and uh, like try something else, like try to see like what life looked like when you're not following like what everybody else is telling you to do. And I'm happy. I wish, I wish I'd had like some financial training, do you know, like, Mm -hmm. That I think, I think, but I feel like even then I probably would have still screwed it up, but I was making it up as I went along. Like I didn't have anybody ahead of me, like with any experience. Like if I'd chosen to be a nurse or my dad was a scientist, like I could have picked like one of those and like they could say, do this, do that, do that. But I didn't have like a template to follow for music, you know? So Mm -hmm. I kind of made it up as I went along and I made some crummy financial choices, but as have yeah. we all, you know, <laughs> guilty as charged as well. So, yeah, but you were smart. Like you, 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 you became a teacher, you know, like you got a pension, dude. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's you know, so you and I have, awesome. you and I have so had that chat that, uh, you know, I ended up in this career kind of a, a 
you know, it wasn't my original plan, but then it, it, it turns out to be, you know, the best thing you ever did. And uh, I know your story is awesome. I should interview you for oh. this show. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, speaking of teaching, when you decided um, to, uh, you know, put your girls in my music program, I, I was really touched by that because I mean, you could have put them anywhere in Ottawa or whatever. And, uh, and you did that. Let me just say something. You did that. You did that. So oh, well, thank you. my kids had like were homeschooled. I thought they were, I said, you know, if you want to go to school, like you, you just let me know. And that day I came to your class to teach. My daughter came and she fell in love with your class. And she's like, I want to be in his class. And that's what inspired my kids to come to school. Oh, so you did that. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yes, but anyway, that was always pretty awesome. You know, that'll be one of my, uh, you know, fond memories of uh, a, a pretty good career. So, well, it's one of my, it's one of my, like, honestly, like my kids are interested, have a love for music because of you. And people always say like, oh, like they must have wanted to be musicians because their mom wasn't. Nope. You know, like the, what you did in that class of like letting kids come in and play all the different instruments and having that be an open space. Um, I haven't really seen it be duplicated in the same way. I've met a lot of lovely music teachers, but there's not that same um, open uh, atmosphere for in a lot of music schools. There is in some, but not in a lot, you know, like you let kids like some kids take instruments home and try things and, and like, you know, be inspired to try. <laughs> and so it was, like these kids fell in love and you know they went on to uh also get a lot of love in that program orchestra mm -hmm. um there's a and it, the lady that runs that program is very much like you i have to say something though the music teachers that i'm meeting there's a i i don't know it's there's something special like there's something special about music teachers i don't know if it's because maybe you guys see the kids throughout the whole career like it's I, I'm not sure what it is, but there's something special about music teachers. Yeah, we do get to see them for a long time. You know, we, we they come to us as little kids and they yeah. leave, they leave as adults, basically. So that's pretty yeah, amazing. There's yeah, there's a different relationship. Like I hear my kids talk to their music teachers and it's like, and I see the music teachers walk through the hallways and like call out kids and like, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, and there's a different relationship like than what I see with other teachers. So, huh, yeah, you you got something special going on there. You've you touched a lot of lives. Well, well, thank, thank you, you very much. But uh, so we are going to take a quick break. Uh, <gasps> we're going to go to the music history moment. I guess that's the teacher in me, but I gotta, I've got to put that in every episode. So we're going to take a little break, uh, do the music history moment, and I'll be right back with Kelly Lee Evans. On July 27th, 1976, Tina Turner filed for divorce from her abusive husband, Ike Turner. Tina, whose real name was Anna Mae Bullock, had begun a recording career in 1958 with Ike Turner's Kings of Rhythm, being billed as Little Anne due to her slender frame. After starting a romantic relationship with Ike Turner, she assumed the stage name Tina Turner in 1960, despite the fact that they weren't married until 1962. The Ike and Tina Turner review became one of the greatest duos in music history. When she filed for divorce in 1976, Tina Turner revealed a history of domestic abuse at the hands of Ike. In the 1980s, she went on to have a tremendously successful solo career, 
and has won 12 Grammy Awards, earning her the nickname the Queen of Rock and Roll. She is now residing in Switzerland and has become a Swiss citizen. Now, back to the show. Okay, I'm back with Kelly Lee Evans. Uh, so, uh, take me back. You went uh, down to the States to do the Thelonious Monk uh, competition. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? Sure. You know, that was quite a... a it was like a daunting... It was a huge experience to have at the beginning of your career. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it was held um, in two locations at the, the Smithsonian Museum. A museum and then the actual big event was at the Kennedy Center and so you know we we were invited to places like the State Department Colin Powell and like all these different um these different people in government were there like high level so high level people in government high level people in music you know you're you're in the elevator and there's Kurt Elling or Jimmy Scott or you know oh, your yeah. Laura Parim is around the corner like it's just like this weird thing like where there's Wayne Shorter and and oh my God, and God. all of these giants of jazz as uh, T.S. Monk and and people you know you're listening to the stories that they're telling like one and the the conversations that they're having with one another and you're just a little fly on the wall really you know and just just trying to soak it all in and I mean like I didn't have a huge music uh education so a lot of the people I didn't know you know a lot of the people I didn't know very much about I don't know didn't know much about their music um but you knew that you were someplace where something special could happen you know um it was a it was a um was a hard situation I I I, it's funny, like, you know, there's parts where, like, I'm very thankful for, I'm very thankful for all of it, because I learned so much about who I was as a person, you know, going into that scenario, and um, I'm happy, I'm happy I didn't win. I, I came in second place, was very stressful like the there were a lot of tears not just from me but from a lot of people when I didn't win yeah. <laughs> you know that the whole competition like is just like a it's just challenging but I'm happy that I didn't win because I got a chance to come away from it and like really make my own way you know and uh I have made my own cd out of the process and and released it a few months down the line and it was like it's one of those things that will always be a calling card. It helped to kind of set up where I am in the, or at least where I was at that time in the general landscape of, of music at that time. But, and like one of the nice things is like, they just kept calling on me to come back and do things, you know, which was like, has been really great. Um, I was part of uh, Jazz Day in, um, at the UN in Paris with them. Um, did a really wonderful uh, competition, like performance later on down the line at, at the Kodak Center, of the Kodak Theater, part of me in, in LA and have just, it was part of like a really cool education um, initiative in Chicago where we go into the schools and deal and um, like, like teach the kids like jazz, but like I would say teach the kids jazz because like these are jazz musicians already, like the kids were 
pretty amazing already, you know? I don't know, it's just, it was a great opportunity, you know? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. really thankful. It's funny, like, I haven't thought back on it in a while. Um, but, yeah, just your question makes me think back, and I'm really thankful for it. Yeah. And so that kind of spurred on your career. And I mean, that was uh, shortly after that was when I first met you, actually. And, um, you know, 2011, uh, the Juno. And I'd love to just hear maybe a little bit about what that whole scene uh, for the Junos is like, because that's something I'll probably never see. You know, I'm, I'm a jazz never musician, but I, but I play small clubs and stuff. You know what I mean? Like our typical matter, audience like... is 15 people, you know, or whatever, 20 people. But I'd love to hear uh, about the Juno experience. Well, first off, I mean, like a submit. Submit a submit a CD because you really don't know like what they're gonna what they're gonna love like it's a it's a jury of your peers you know um, yeah, yeah. and and industry people and if it's a good CD it's a good CD like doesn't matter who, who you're playing for you know and I've been nominated a few times in and one one once yeah and um, I was part of another win so kind of won twice and it's like. It's weird because like, really like, what does good even mean, right? Yeah. You know, like, well, what does a winner mean? Like, you listen to all of the other CDs and they're all great. It's just kind of like what gets decided on that year and what they, so it's kind of bittersweet in the sense, like, it's not like you're competing against like a, in a math, like, it's like, like you have like, 20 math questions and like you just have to answer the question and there's the, whoever gets the right answer like wins yeah. or like we like are gonna run and we all have equal conditions and like we just run and then whoever's the fastest is the fastest you know and <laughs> it's like it's like figure skating or like synchronized swimming like there's bias right so yeah, of course the russian judge is always <laughs> <laughs> there's always the russian judge right so, so so yeah, I think it's interesting. Like you, you come away and you're kind of like, I won, yes, or I lost, oh no. But then it doesn't mean what you did was bad. And it yeah, doesn't yeah. Really mean what you did was like better, <laughs> you know? So there's always that, but you feel, I remember it being like one of the happiest moments because it was like this year, like I won the popularity contest this year, right? <laughs> and then- <laughs> right and then like i'm gonna get to like reap the rewards this year and there are rewards like there really are the rewards of um like you get to keep that mo that like little moniker like beside your name like juno award winner you know yes and it can mean that there's like a whole it's just like it's just rational like if i'm trying to sell tickets and i'm a venue and I can present somebody that's a junior award winner or just like a nominee or not even a nominee, I might be able to sell a couple more tickets with the junior award winner. So I'm going to book that person and I might pay them a little bit more than I would have paid. So your amount that you can garner goes up a little bit and you mm -hmm. might get a gig or two more in a different place than you might have before. And 
I mean, like that for a musician, you're looking for that. It's just like how like a restaurant is looking for a good review, you know, or like a, a Michelin star or, or yeah. two or three, you know? So it's the kind of things where you're putting in the work and somebody says, okay, we're going to give you this little thing that's going to make it a little bit easier for you to do your work. And, um, and that's, that's really all it is, you know? Well, that's a good perspective though. I like that perspective. It's yeah. It's just, it's, it, that's the rational perspective because otherwise it's like oh, I'm so much better than someone and you're yeah. not you're, <laughs> you're not it's just it's just you won the popularity contest this year uh, yeah <laughs> so uh you know your career was uh moving along really nicely and then um 2013 happened and uh and, and I know how hard that's been on you and I know you still feel the effects of that and um you know, we were we were talking uh, before the interview about because uh, both of us have undergone like adversity and uh, and it's it's uh, it defines who you are. And um, but I, I asked you if you were comfortable talking about that and, and you said you were. So um, can you let people know 2013? I mean, that was the like the queen said, the anus horribilis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the, um, I, I was hit by lightning in my home. Um, I, what, what we call uh, electrocution by conduction. So I was mm-hmm. washing the dishes and lightning struck my, the metal roof of my home, went through the pipes and went through my body when I touched the sink. And uh, it just, it took out my, the radio, it took out like some of the electronics in our house and, and it messed up my body and my brain, you know, and things have never been the same. And it's, it's been seven years and it's still here. Like not, my body's still not where I used to be. And I used to feel like I was able to just go, 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 go and have tons of energy and like overdo it. And now that's just not the case. And it's, but the thing is, you know, I'm a, I should con- include that in 2015, um, you know, probably tied into the 2013 issue. I fainted and I hit my head. Uh-huh. And then, so the first injury is, a, well, thought of as a uh, brain injury. And then the second one was a brain injury. So the two together, you know, just kind of took me out of commission. The first one though, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't let it take me out of commission. So I was on tour in a wheelchair, like not able to cut my food or hold my microphone properly, you know, and just still pushing it. And then after the second injury is like, no more pushing it. I couldn't even do that. I could hardly get out of bed. So it's been a real lesson like a life lesson in how to stop overdoing it (laughs) and how to take care of myself because I really did not have that skill set I didn't know anything about it like no well I'm I'm not sure if you remember this but I I was probably 2016 you know I because I've had you in at the school a few times and um it was shortly I would have been less than a year after you had hit your head and um and you remember, we just, we came back to my house at lunch and you crashed on the couch and, and just had to recover for the afternoon, you know? And, and so you seem to be doing so much better now. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it is better. You know, it's like, it's funny, like the, I wasn't able, um, actually, but I have to say like, even now, like I'm still having to take those naps 
And I've had to recognize that somebody else's day, like, you know, being able to work nine to five, uh, I've tried to push it, but I can't do that. Like I'm really at three hours a day. Like that's at my max, you know? And after that, like there's like shooting pains in my head or I might be slurring near the end of the night. So I really have to kind of like make sure I have my nap, make sure that I look at the time properly and say, okay, this is enough. And then, you know, I'm back out on the road touring, but I really have to have my booking agent like be I understand like he wants to like make sure that it's a cost effective tour but if I can't function for like the next week or two after the tour then that doesn't help me <laughs> you know yeah like I don't make enough money in a tour to justify like not being able to function for a month or two weeks you know yeah. it's not worth it but I was, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I was thrilled uh, when you started performing live again. You know, it was. Oh, just, thanks. Yeah, it was amazing. And um, speaking about live performing, so uh, you know, like a lot of us, uh, this this whole pandemic has really thrown a wrench into live performance. Yeah. But, but I was kind of excited to hear that you're like this episode's coming out on the twenty seventh of July. So. I think a few days after that, you're doing a, a live show and, I, and I'd love for you to tell everyone about that. Yeah, I'm really excited to have been asked to be part of the um, the uh, Ottawa Blues Fest NAC production. Um, it's like a drive-in. <laughs> it's, so yeah. cool. it's so cool. So it's going to be taking place at Zibi, um, which is like, if you live here in Ottawa, it's a I, I don't I I can't figure out if, if it's in Gatineau or if it's in Ottawa it's or is it in like, both like uh, yeah yeah it's I don't right really in the get it exactly I was driving and I was like hmm I can't figure this out so <laughs> anyways it's at Zibi and um Zibi Plaza and like cars are going to be able to like drive up I guess they'll all be placed you know at a proper socially distance distance and we'll be up on a big stage they're going to be alternating between two stages uh, throughout the evening and I'm opening the night on the 31st of July oh that's awesome yeah so I'm looking forward to it um people you know it's it's gonna be I don't know if you did you ever used to go to Port Elmsley um yeah I've been there a couple times yeah me too <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because like you basically you pull up and you find the uh the concert on your your radio station that's right you tune to a certain station and catch the yeah, show so that's what they're gonna do here too Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a clever solution to what we're going through for sure. Yeah, and they're going to be jumbo, jumbo screens as well. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. So this looks like a good time for the uh, the final segment of the show, uh, the Stewie Tunes quiz. And um, Stewie Tunes. Are, are you, <laughs> you ready? Have a, uh, you need, you need, a, I, I'm sure you have it already, but like, do you have a, what's it called? Like a theme song for Stewie Tunes? Uh, no, I should put that in the show though. I should get my- You my, should. Uh, my musical partner, uh, Rick Denis, uh, writes all the music for this show. So I should get him to write some like, you need Jeff, a little Jeopardy jingle. <laughs> yeah. You need a jingle. And then when you get the jingle, cause like Stewie Tune sounds like, like it should have a, um, a, a Looney Tunes kind of, um, yeah, yeah. intro, like with the, uh, the, the video, like the video, the graphics. So maybe you could like go on Fiverr and get somebody to, yeah. to like design you like a, you know? Well, you know, maybe your episode will be the first one that I do that. So you might, yeah, you, you might have a like <laughs> uh, circus music going on underneath your answers here. Who That'd knows? Yeah. 
So I know that you're, uh, you're, uh, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan, uh, but you had mentioned to me that that wasn't as much of an influence for you. But um, do you have a favorite Beatle? Like when you think about the Beatles? Um... Yeah, it's so funny because like I, I'm a child of the '80s, and um, when I was coming up, like you know, Paul McCartney was doing like like he was doing that du- duet with like <laughs> with Michael Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and yeah, I feel like I more attached to him growing up, and then I learned a lot about about um, John Legend. John Legend, <laughs> who's also awesome. John but... Lennon. <laughs> John Lennon growing up, like as I came up, and I loved I loved the song Imagine. And you remember we talked about um, about the Monk competition, and that was actually one of the songs. Like I was I was sleeping. And I woke up with this arrangement for Imagine, and it was, it was just like, I like ran to figure out like how to like voice it, you know, and how to write it out for the band. And when I got to, I got to um, Washington, I gave it to them, and they were like, "Okay, this is great. Are, are you sure you want to perform this?" Because I was going to be performing Imagine like at the Kennedy Center in front of like Colin Powell, and it was like. Yeah, and it was such a, like, imagine no war, imagine no oppression, you know, it's just like, <laughs> everybody was like, are you sure you want to sing that song, you know, so, uh, you know, in a way, like, the, the Beatles would be part of my, uh, part of my story, uh, yeah, it, it, that song made a huge impression on, on the audience, and, and it, yeah, so, and another thing I love about Paul McCartney is, like, I think about him often when I write, because, um, I was on a flight one day and he was, I, you know, when you're just kind of flicking through like whatever's available and there was this little mini documentary on him and his songwriting process. And he had this technique of what to do when you are blocked. And he would just be like, don't stay on that like section, just put in a placeholder word, you know? so. Like, I don't know, I'm just like saying this, like, because this book is on my paint by stickers cats. <laughs> but like, you know, it'd be like paint by, you know, pot liquor, um, cat. So like you would just put in like something and then you keep going. And it was just like, it seems so simple now, like, but him saying that was so helpful. I'm like this great songwriter, you know, with so much experience, like that, what a great, thing to do and he, he just talked about also um kind of getting out of his own way when he was songwriting you know mm-hmm. just like powering through it as opposed to like getting stuck on these sections and that's something that's like advice that stuck with me for for years I don't I can't even tell you when I watched that that documentary but it was so helpful so there's just little ways like that that like you know the Beatles are part of my life it's not so much their music but the things that they said or did well, yeah. Were. yeah. Well, I remember uh, hearing that, you know, he came up uh, with the melody for yesterday in his sleep and he, and he was really worried that, oh, is this somebody else's tune or whatever? But he, he had no lyrics for it. So he, like he called it scrambled eggs, you know, and it just, there you kinda, go. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah, yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. Let's move to the next question. These are always hard to answer, you know, because as musicians, we see so much music, but um do you have a favorite live show that you've ever seen? Like someone you watched and it was like, oh my God. I'm between was... two shows. Okay. Okay. 
and it's like they're one of them is like I would not have thought that it was going to be one of my favorites so the first one was Coldplay's show here in Ottawa they came I can't remember what year it was but it was for x and y and everything about the show like it's just just so full of joy so full of color um the way that I got the tickets you know, it was just like on the la the day of the show, when we got there, we thought that like we'd bought the worst tickets possible because like there were these big, like the opening act was, um, I can't remember the, name, the guy's name, but his big amps were like stacked up in front of us. And I was just like, we were on the side, like, and I was like, well, I guess we'll just be able to like, listen, you know, we can close our eyes. We couldn't see the stage. I was like, we'll just close our eyes and listen to this show. Like, I guess it's the best we could do what, getting the tickets the last day, you know? Yeah. And um, like, I mean, when I say the last day, I mean, they're in town. Like they, it was like, they just kind of opened up tickets at the last minute, right? And then moments, like as soon as the band finished, the opening band finished, they came and they moved the speakers and we were like right on the edge of like the, the walkway that like Chris Martin comes down. So oh, like, wow. we're, and it's so funny because p other people that had those tickets and were sitting through the opening act, they were like, oh, these are crap tickets. So we just left. So we're kind of just sitting there like kind of thinking, well, we're not going to go and steal somebody else's seats. We'll just stay here. And they ended up being the best seats ever. Oh, amazing. Like raining confetti, big balls of like big, big um, balloons that like you could bounce across the stadium. And like thinking to us, and at one point, um, at the end, we were just like so excited about the show, like, and everybody was leaving and we're like, oh, we'll just stay a bit. And I love shows. Like I love shows so much that like, I stay and watch them take down the stage. Cause like, I think it's so fun to see like all aspects of shows. Yeah. I'm just nuts. I'm a musician, I'm a musician, but I love every part of it. And this, the crew came up and gave us the set lists and like broken um, drumsticks from the show. Awesome. Like it was just like, to me, like, I, I can't forget it. I still have chills from just, like, how awesome that show was. And we were just, like, singing every word and so happy. So that was one. And then my other favorite show took place, like, years later. I wasn't even a fan. Um, but I, like, was take, brought along with, like, some friends that were a fan. Uh, so we went to Montreal to see Kanye West and Jay-Z's concert. Okay. And I was like, well, I don't really listen to their stuff, so I don't know. You know, like, I... The, the level of creativity like this show was amazing oh, wow. the the graphics the stage the music just like it was so well done i can't get over how well done that concert was you know and the listening to people singing like they knew all the songs <laughs> you know what i mean and the way that I, people felt connected in the audience i i've really I, i've had the good luck to go to a lot of shows but those two shows are, are ones that are just like very vivid in my memory you know yeah yeah really well done so what is the who's the performer that you most wish you could see or or wish you could have seen if they've passed on is there is there one that you know so far I, has escaped you I would have loved to see Ella Fitzgerald oh my god yeah yeah I think that would have been pretty awesome yeah that'd be amazing anywhere <laughs> yeah. anytime yeah yeah I would take that <laughs> Yeah, good answer. Um, okay, who's the underappreciated or unknown performer who you think everyone should know about? Because, you know, that ties into your whole conversation about, you know, not being necessarily better or whatever, because sometimes there are amazing people who just, for some reason, nobody knows about. 
Yeah, you know, it, there's two male singers that um, I know of, Canadian male singers that I know of. Um, one's a guy here in Ottawa named Jeff Rogers. Uh, he's just got the coolest sound, you know, and he's so talented. He, like, he sings, he plays, uh, and he's got this wonderful, wonderful voice. And every time I listen, I'm kind of, I'm like, man, like, I, I hope something happens for him, you know? And he's not a, a little kid, so like, and I don't know, like, where you'd place him in the, in the, you know, in the world of genres and stuff. Like, I'm not even quite sure. It's just like he's just got a great voice. So I always think to myself, man, you know. And I remember giving a CD to, um, to like a an agent in in France, hoping that like something would happen for him, you know. But I don't know. Like, that's one. And my other one, it's another Canadian male artist um so he you know he used to go by the name Denzel Pinnock and that's where I met him and uh he came to Ottawa but now he his name is Denzel Sinclair and his voice I mean honestly Tony like when you get off this it's like it's like so smooth and it's just like such a beautiful voice it's kind of like Nat King Cole but not really you know oh, yeah and I'm gonna check that out He's, he, he's amazing. Those are two singers where I'm like, wow, you know, and I had an opportunity to sing with, um, not like to sing on this, we didn't sing together, but we sang on the same show uh, last year uh, for the Jeff, the Bright Up Brothers. Um, I don't know if you know Jeff, Jeff Bright Up, um, but uh, they, uh, they are wonderful songwriters based in, in, New York City and LA and they're Canadian and they write beautiful music and I was on a project that they did and Denzel was on that project as well and his voice is just killer. Like, oh awesome. Yeah yeah so those are my two people. Oh excellent and this is my favorite question always you know if you're having a dinner party and you can invite uh, any musician or band or whatever who would you invite why? You know it's funny I'll say this I've met Quincy Jones a couple times from like the monk competition, but like, I never, like he, I never, it's always really busy. Like there's a lot of people around and he'll talk, but I never understand what he's saying. You know, like it's like late and like, I, I'm just like, I didn't quite catch it, you know? So I really wouldn't mind to like, be seated beside him someplace and actually get to hear some stories like and like yeah. actually hear them instead of people always say like what did he say I was like I, don't, I couldn't really understand him you know because <laughs> like, that guy that guy knows everybody he knows everybody I was just watching this <laughs> documentary last night called the black godfather about a um this uh manager like I don't really even know what you'd call him. He's like a manager, record label owner, like just this impresario, you know, in the industry. I think he's still alive and he's like best, like his, Quincy Jones is his best friend. So you can kind of see the two of them chatting back and forth. And it was like, that was very, it was interesting to see just kind of like the reach of these guys. And, you know, mm -hmm. growing up, I always felt like I knew in my heart, like Quincy Jones was going to like be part of, my my story somehow and he was you know I, it wasn't the way that I thought it was going to be but it was like he has been part of my story like he was one of the judges for my competition and like you know later on he gave me a really like helpful letter you know so it was 
like a reference letter. So like he's been part of my experience, but it's just not been like, I thought I thought he was gonna like be a producer for me or one of those things, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. was it. But I would love to sit and listen to like some of these stories. But I guess I got these documentaries. I can use that. Exactly. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> well, Kelly Lee, it's been uh, lovely talking to you today, and uh, it's been really nice to catch up again. Um, I'm glad you're doing okay, and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that you took the time to uh, interview me for this little show. So thanks so much. No problem. And when you want me to ask you all the questions so that everybody can find out about you, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for everything you do. And that was my chat with Juno Award winning Kelly Lee Evans. Kelly Lee returns to this stage on July 31st as part of the RBC Blues Fest drive-in series. And just as an aside, Kelly Lee, if you're listening to this, I hope you noticed that I did uh, insert some circus music below your first part of the Stewie Tunes quiz, but uh, I couldn't put, put it on for the whole thing. That would be cruel and unusual punishment for our listeners. As always, the music for today's episode, except for the annoying circus music, was provided by my good friend and musical partner, Rick Denis. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show, and thank you for subscribing or rating or reviewing if you've done any of those things. Um, if you know of someone who might enjoy this show, please pass the word along, because that really helps. The Stewie Tunes Show can be found anywhere you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Or you can just visit the show's website directly at stewytunes.com. You'll find lots of extra information there, including video trailers and show notes. We've got some great interviews coming up in the next few weeks, including one with Toronto-based music journalist Aaron Badgley, Mike McCormick from The Arrogant Worms, and Lucas Hanneman from the Lucas Hanneman Express. Plus, I've got a very special end-of-season interview that I'm in the process of lining up now. So, stay well, be safe, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Stewie Tune Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.